Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to Health and Perspective, a public health podcast. This is your host, Holly, speaking. Today, I have a really interesting topic for you. It's a podcast that I've been wanting to make for a while now, and considering one of the big themes in the year has been tackling systemic racism and surviving a pandemic, I thought this was a great one to end the year with. So what's the topic? Today, I will be talking about the history of racial inequity in American healthcare and its effect on the health of Black communities. Although there are not many official records of the roles of African Americans as caretakers in history, Black women as unofficial nurses have been at the forefront for centuries. Before the abolishment of slavery in 1865, enslaved African American women had the role of taking care of and nursing the families of their slave owners. And during the Civil War, many took to caring for wounded soldiers, including popular figures like Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman. Having the official nurse title as an African American, though, did not exist at this time. But despite this, a few African-American individuals were able to fight past the many obstacles in their way and make an impact on American healthcare. A couple of examples are Susie King Taylor and Mary Eliza Mahoney. Susie King Taylor was born into slavery in 1800s Georgia, but in 1862, she escaped to the North. She ended up working for the Union and eventually married a Union sergeant who would be stationed in South Carolina during the Civil War. Taylor was not an official nurse, but she was able to shadow a different nurse on her rounds. She had learned enough to become a nurse herself, becoming one of the earliest recorded black nurses in America's history. Susie King Taylor served as a battlefront nurse and cared for soldiers for four years. It wasn't until 1879, though, when the first official black nurse, Mary Eliza Mahoney, graduated from a nursing school in Boston. Mahoney became the first trained black nurse in America, which was an impressive achievement of the time. At the time, only a few northern schools would admit black students, and no schools would in the South. Mary Eliza Mahoney was kind of an exception, though. She was an incredible nurse, and she was recognized as a nurse. And that, ultimately, is what allowed her to get official training from a quote-unquote qualified white nursing school. For most black nurses, though, their only training came from unappreciated black nursing schools and could only work in black communities. Arguably, though, the biggest milestone for black nurses came in 1918 and 1919 during the influenza pandemic and the conclusion of World War I. Influenza would take the lives of over half a million Americans during the pandemic's course, and despite being in desperate need of caretakers, many black nurses were turned away from service. Even though they were as qualified as their white counterparts, the separate but equal Jim Crow laws would lead to their rejection. If they were to be accepted, they would require separate quarters, something recruiters could easily deny having or deny to make. The Red Cross actually ruled in 1911 to exclude black nurses for this exact reason. And even after this policy was overruled in 1917, black nurses continued to be turned away. It wasn't until 1918 when 18 black nurses would become the first black nurses to ever serve in the Red Cross. First recruited was Frances Reed Elliott, soon followed Eileen Cole, Clara Rollins, and 15 other black nurses. These 18 black nurses were sent to West Virginia to care for minors battling with the pandemic. By 1919, their services began to be needed more at military camps, where the number of wounded soldiers began to surpass those who were infected with influenza. These camps were so desperate for nurses. In fact, they were so desperate that the 18 black nurses cared for both black and white patients, a very uncommon, if not rare, practice, and one that their superiors were not exactly a fan of. This was not the only way these women made an impact, though. These 18 black nurses set a precedent. 
They showed America that it needs black nurses, that black people can be nurses, that they want to be nurses, and that the only thing in their way is racism. When World War II came around in the 1940s, the military continued to deny the help from black nurses. However, black nurses and leaders in the National Association of Colored Graduate Nurses were able to fight this discrimination. Because these 18 women set a precedent, black nurses of the NACGN were able to get over 600 black nurses employed during World War II. Afterwards, specifically during the civil rights movement during the 1950s and 1960s, progress in the enrollment and certification of black nurses began to expand. And by 1970, black nurses began to be fully accepted by society and were fully integrated into schools and other healthcare settings. It is absolutely incredible to me how powerful racism was back then so as to deny trained healthcare workers during a pandemic. Right now, coming from a perspective a year into the COVID-19 pandemic, nurses are at the front lines and we still don't have enough. We are in desperate need of nurses, similar to the situation during the influenza pandemic. But today, even the thought of turning down a nurse because of the color of their skin is not only ridiculous, but blatant racism. It's good to learn about our history of racism in healthcare, though. It gives a good insight to today's problems concerning racism in nursing. After all, this is where it all began. You might be familiar with some of the reports coming out recently that are highlighting how black communities specifically are being hit hard by this pandemic. And this is for many, many reasons, like the prevalence of people of color and essential jobs who simply can't work from hope to avoid exposure, but a huge factor is the health of these communities in general. According to a study in the journal Advances in Nursing Science, black communities are recorded to have disproportionate percentages of cardiovascular disease, cancer, strokes, diabetes, hypertension, and many other diseases. And this isn't just because they're black. No, the color of your skin does not make you more susceptible to a certain disease just as the color of your eyes wouldn't. And needless to say, there's just as much variation within white communities as there is in black communities. So why do we see these statistics in these reports? Why are black Americans disproportionately affected by hypertension and other pre-existing conditions that put them at risk during this pandemic? Is it possible that the history of racism in our country and in our healthcare system has played a role in this? Short answer? Yes. In fact, racism still shamelessly exists and impacts people of color in not just in our healthcare system. The big difference today, though, is that the racism that affects black communities is not so much interpersonal racism now as it is institutional racism. Rosalind Peters sums this up in her article of Western Journal of Nursing Research really well. She states that, quote, other factors beyond biological or genetic ones are responsible for racial disparities and health outcomes. Although African Americans are a heterogeneous group, they share the common bond of being black in America. As such, they may have experienced similar social experiences based on their race, as well as being exposed to chronic social and environmental stressors because of their racial group status. End quote. Many studies now are beginning to correlate the effects of dealing with racism with rates of disease such as hypertension and with the quality of care a person of color may receive. We also see institutional racism affecting Black Americans in other aspects of their lives, including in housing, in education, in our justice system, etc., all of which indirectly harm their health. Jaza Wren, Sarabin, and Elizabeth Donnelly in their article in the Journal of Midwifery and Women's Health describe institutional racism as, quote, 
inextricably woven through institutions, bureaucracies, and social structures such that no individual can be identified as responsible, end quote. This is what makes institutional racism so persistent and so effective in influencing the health of people of color. It's because of our history of racism in healthcare that we see black communities struggling, why we see them falling behind compared to white communities. A study in The Lancet connecting together the negative effects of racism to black communities points out that compared to white communities, black communities have fewer resources, fewer options, fewer services, fewer professionals, and not only less quality of education, but less education in general. And these can all be tied to the institutional racism that is ubiquitous in America. In Serbin and Danelli's article, they point out that, quote, Compared to children born to white women, children born to black women are more than two times as likely to die before their first birthday, and that, quote, African-American women are four times more likely to die from childbirth than other racial groups, end quote. And what do they attribute these statistics to? Racism in midwifery education and practices. So why do black Americans have higher rates of medical issues? It's because of the negligence of diversity in healthcare representing the diversity in its community. It's because of the disproportionate levels of health services available in predominantly black communities. It's because of the lack of focus on researching diseases that predominantly affect non-white populations. And one final huge factor is the lack of anti-racist initiatives in healthcare and healthcare education. Some of the most shocking statistics I found while researching are those of white nurses to black nurses. For example, in midwifery, nearly 90% of the nurses are white, and according to a study done in 2015, the percent of all black nurses in America is around 9.9%, a number that has only grown 1% since 1990. The lack of diversity in healthcare, and specifically healthcare education, has put itself in a sticky situation. Not only are these statistics a result of racism in healthcare, but it's because of these statistics that racism in nursing is difficult to tackle, difficult to overcome. Nearly every article I read discussing institutional racism argued that its disastrous effects on the health of black Americans is not being dealt with correctly. An article in Advances in Nursing Science by Whitney Thurman and others specifically cites interpersonal racism as the form of racism that is focused on in policies and diversity trainings, but that it's institutional racism actually that does the most damage in causing these racial inequities. They cite the discussion about racism as being about diversity rather than being about incorporating anti-racist practices. They cite that there are failures in the current system, especially from inadequate instructors, those who, quote, are predominantly white and, quote, have not experienced race as a significant part of their identity, end quote. While those that do see race as such, specifically people of color, are, quote, largely underrepresented in nursing scholarship, end quote. Further issues with tackling institutional racism include seeing it as a thing of the past, uh, resistance to discussion from fear and discomfort, colorblindness, and in general just the lack of understanding of institutional racism. So what does this mean? What can we as community members do about this? Well, first and foremost, we need to be aware of the issue, hence why I'm making this podcast. We also need to be able to identify institutional racism in our communities and in our healthcare system. And then we need to call it out. There's a really nice quote in an article by Sally Thorne. Uh, the article is called, Isn't it high time we talked openly about racism? Uh, it profoundly states that, quote, Although our profession has historically been at the forefront of so many social justice issues, think of women's suffrage, reproductive control, sanitation, anti-poverty, harm reduction, Somehow this commitment 
is becoming erased from what is considered essential to nursing education and the knowledge that shapes professional practices, end quote. Sally Thorne argues, I argue, and so many other scholars and healthcare professionals are arguing that it is not only our job to be open and aware about what is really happening in this country and in its healthcare system, but that it is also our responsibility, for there are literally lives on the line. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Health and Perspective. If you liked our podcast, feel free to follow us on wherever you get your podcasts. And before we sign off, we just wanted to give another huge shout out to all of the incredible nurses that are fighting the COVID-19 pandemic right now. Thank you so, so much. Please keep being amazing. And with that, we will see you all next month with a new episode of Health and Perspective.